You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. It's the Conduits of Trouble podcast. Zolgad, Scoggins, Jonathan Harrison producing. And uh, Chip, you, you wrote about the team. You were out there on Monday at the Twins game again. But I guess we should uh, pick up where we left off last week. This is just <laughs> what it, it's hard to come up with more superlatives to say, but it's so much fun. Yeah. You want to keep talking about it. Well, you know, the thing that's amazing, Judd, is like every basically scenario has gone right. Right, you yeah. you put Pineda on the DL and you bring up Smelter and you're thinking, okay, what what's going to happen here? He throws six shutout innings against the Brewers, right? And yep. just a, a crazy emotional story. All the free agents have panned out basically, or new additions, guys they've signed, and so it's like you hate to say everything they touch is turned into gold right now, but it seems like they they haven't really, you know, some guy goes down. Next guy comes in and, and does well. So it's yeah, it's a remarkable story. I mean, this is just um you you keep wondering when they're gonna hit a bump in the road and lose, you know, six in a row or seven in a row. But I But don't you think in and you you touched on the chemistry and the makeup of this yeah. team in a column that you did for the Star Tribune that uh, you wrote Monday for Tuesday. Okay. They're going to go through a rough stretch. Things are not always going to go right. They're going to play some good teams. But the more that you're around this team, don't you get the impression that they're going to be like, oh, yeah, okay, it's yeah. a rough stretch. I don't yeah, they, I don't sense an imminent cliff here that's going to be a problem. I think that they're because, – because to your point, the construction of the roster seems to be really solid, and so the people who are – in that clubhouse are reasonable about mm-hmm. it. So, okay, let's say they lose, let's say they go through a tough, you know, week stretch. They lose six games. Nelson Cruz and Jonathan Scope and that group and Gonzalez, they're not going to be like, oh my God, this yeah. is, they're going to just look and say, hey, rough stretches happen and they're going to carry on. Yeah, there's there, there won't be panic if they <clears throat> hit a rough stretch. You know, we've talked about like Rocco's, how much, uh, credit and influence he's had on this. And it, it really struck me this week, and I wrote that column, that just the uh, environment he's created in that clubhouse where, you know, the old school mentality is, ah, oh, you got to get to the ballpark 2 o'clock. You got to start getting your – you got to start grinding. You got to get your work in. You got to, you know, be sitting at your locker or whatever. Like, literally, I don't – I don't say he doesn't care, but I don't think he knows what time these guys come in. He, he told me – he only he's not a big guy on rules. His only rules are compete hard when the game starts, be accountable, and respect your teammates. Mm-hmm. And what it, so whatever it takes for you to get ready for a game, it, I've heard people have told me that if he sees somebody at the ballpark early, he'll, he'll say, "What are you doing here?" And I wonder if that all stems from like when he was a player, if he thought, you know, this is ridiculous. We're all just sitting at our locker way too early, and you're burning your. I mean, if you add up all those hours that guys are just sitting at their clubhouse stall looking at their phones. Could that be better used at home napping or doing something else where you're away from the ballpark? Right. So I I think that's where he's, you know, where being a young manager benefits him because he he knows, you know, 
do we really need to be here this early and doing these certain things? I, I think he thinks it's kind of counterproductive to well, get to the ballpark that think, early. And I, I think it's not just him. I think the research shows them exactly mm-hmm. that. Yeah. See, that that's the thing is I don't get the idea that anything that they do is done with, uh, well, we think this. Yeah. I think it's all pretty well thought out and researched. What's interesting, though, to me and and where it goes from uh, being very non-personal to personal is it does seem like they do a very good job person by person then of, yeah. of, of knowing what's going to benefit that guy the most. You know, because sports for a long time was just this philosophical, this goes for the room. Yeah. Well, I've been thinking about kind of that his approach this week and in, in the context of uh, Gersus. Uh, Rosas from yep. and he always, always says we're going to question the norm. Yep, and it, it's particularly football. Why do you do something? Because we've always done it that way, right? Oh, absolutely. You, you're yes. in, we, this is how we've always done it, so we're not going to change. Where well, I think we have a couple teams in town where like, and both you know front office and probably coaches that are thinking, well, why are we going to keep doing it the same way? Why don't we try something different? Right. You know, why don't we try not coming in? You know. Seven hours before and first pitch, like and things like nap rooms. Yeah, nap which on the could you imagine? Surface seems silly, but it actually makes perfect sense. Yeah, could you imagine an old school coach saying we're gonna have a nap room? <laughs> yeah, Brad Childress, <laughs> Bud Grant. Yeah, we got a nap room now. <laughs> Alan Page and Carl are napping. Don't bother them. They're out like lights. No, but you know this is it. This goes though to to me that. The more that I watch this unfold, and the Twins are in the midst of this, and I think you're right. I think the Wolves are going down this path. This goes also to show that this is why the entire team, though, and that's executives, coaches, players to a certain degree, but the people that are going to implement things all have to be on the exact same page. Mm, 100%. and, and And again, Molitor, I think, was very good. I think he was – now, they, they lost 103 games a couple of years ago, and certainly that could have cost him his job. But I think he did a very nice job. But you know what now? In being around this team, it's very apparent why these guys wanted to make a change. Because if you went to Paul and were like, hey, Paul, here's the deal. Despite the fact that you would show up at 2 o'clock in Milwaukee in 1978, yeah. now if a guy walks into 5, don't be bothered. So it's not an indictment on Paul, but it is very much a hand-in-hand-in-hand hand hand now. And it, and if there's a weak link there or somebody doesn't get a chip, yeah. I think that's a problem. And I was a Molitor fan. I, I liked – Yeah, so I, I. I, I, I love like, listening to him because I felt like I learned stuff about baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, The one thing I would say, and, and, and I really like Rocco's approach. I mean, just being around him more, he's like – I kind of like that easy go, and I'm not going to get – up type. Those are two different rosters too that they had. I mean, what would Paul have done with this roster with veterans that are good? Yes, and and, and Rocco to that point, Rocco one hundred percent. I think, especially now at the young age of thirty seven, Chip needs the right roster. Yeah. So, like, if you gave him that Twins team last year. This is not the same story. Yeah, I don't know that you had the same Nelson, accountability. That, Nelson Cruz and Scope and Gonzalez, yeah. all of those guys, if there are things probably to be, be handled internally, they can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you were to give, if you were to be like, hey, Rocco, here's Lomo and Lance Lynn, and I'm going to take away Cruz and Gonzalez, I think it's a different story. Yeah, and I double back. Yeah, and I double back for like, uh, the column I did this week where it's a little thing. And I, because uh, Elvis Martinez, their, their translator, who. Uh, if people don't know him. You probably seen him in dugout. Now he he translates in locker room in the clubhouse 
if you have to do an interview with one of the Latin American players who doesn't his English is not uh, as as great as some of the others. Um, but Rocco said, "I need him in a I need him in a dugout. I want to put him in a dugout." So and he's gone and Elvis has gone out with Wes Johnson a couple times to the mound on pitching visits with Pineda. Uh, was it was it Brios's last start? We had a rough second inning, and Wes Johnson came over and talked to him. Elvis is right there, making sure. And so I had double back with Rocco the other day. I said, "You know." It's like just seems like a little thing. He's like, well, why wouldn't we do that? I right. Mean, just everything we do is going to make is about making players comfortable. Uh-huh. So I want them. Yeah, I want to understand and have a complete understanding if we're trying to pass a message or share a message in the dugout that they understand, you know, and they feel comfortable about. How it. simple is that? Though? It's, it's, That's yeah, the funniest it, thing about it. I know, but it's it, it. I think it's probably meaningful to players. But it does go back to for so long, baseball and all, all sports were stuck in. And especially probably baseball and football, we're stuck in, well, of course we do it this way. It's how we do it. It's like, well, but it doesn't make sense. But I mean, we are now seeing things on uh, a weekly or daily basis that you look at now and are like, well, of course that makes sense. But five years ago, you mm-hmm. never would have thought of, of yeah. doing. And, and, and I would love to know, like, they're never going to pull the curtain back because I'm sure they have things that they feel like that only they're doing or they don't want to give their secrets away. But Wes Johnson and, and the analytical staff has done something with Oda Rizzi, with Martin Perez. How about Rousen? With, yeah. And the hitting staff. Yeah, there's, you know, they, I don't know what it I mean, whether it's working on their hips or whatever that they're getting these guys because how, how do you explain, like, Oda Rizzi's turnaround? Oh, yeah. No, no, well. Yes, he he did. Now he he went to the same uh, place down in Florida, I think that Gibson went to a yeah. year ago now, and did work as well. Where they study your mechanic, your mechanic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, I think that these guys, when it comes to a hitting and pitching approach, there is no doubt in my mind that these guys have done a lot that we have no clue, and that they don't that they're not going to tell us for competitive purposes. But that there have been things done. You know, it, it was funny after Sunday's game. Kepler was asked about a swing. And you know Max Kepler's swing. Yeah, you got to be. It's simple to see. It's gone from like a crew, like even plane swing chip mm-hmm. to this uppercut. And Kepler's like, "Oh, I didn't do much. No, <laughs> it's like, yeah, right. Of course you did." Now, now the real question is, how did you get there, yeah. and who and who adjusted that? Which are answers the Twins are not going to be willing to give us. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's pitching wise, hitting wise, and the one thing, Chip, about this team that I don't think we are talking nearly enough about is this team in the field. Yeah. This team in the field consistently makes plays. Yeah, well. It's positioning. It's nice, but C.J. Crone. Yeah, scoops everything. He was basically a <laughs> DH in Tampa, Chipper. Yeah, I know. And, well, <clears throat> Monday night I was sitting there thinking that Sano made a couple nice plays at third, one where he was shifted over almost playing short, <clears throat> and he had to run a long way to get one, and one I think it was – uh, behind the bag, and I was like, "Wow, that's a couple nice plays from him." And you know, we we know what Buxton does, and you know, when he came up, we thought Planco was going to be a liability at shortstop, right? You're like, "Well, he's he's going to hit, so he yep. can," and he occasionally uncorks a wild throw or whatever. But yep. um, but yeah, defensively, I mean, they've been rock solid, and I mean, obviously, when you hit like that, you can cover up for some warts uh, otherwise. But um, it's to me, though, Judd, and you've been in the clubhouse a lot. Don't you just get, and we talked about it, I think, last week, just the vibe of this team and the chemistry in oh, there. Oh, it's really good, yeah. And I, I talked to Derek Shelton, their bench coach, about how they gone about it, and he said, when you treat adults like adults, 
they'll respond. And that's what they're doing. He said, we're letting adults be themselves. Yeah. The one, the one thing that they're probably not talking enough about, though, is, is that they do have guys internally there, as I said before, who can police this thing. Yeah, sure. Like if you're, you know, if you're a young player and you do something dumb, Nelly Cruz ain't going to watch well, it and not say – and Gonzalez is the, the same way. And there also is – what impresses me is on a lot of teams, because now with those clubhouses, like at Target Field, they're gorgeous, mm-hmm. and they've got all that room and back to go and screw yeah. around and stuff. But if you look, there is normally, I think, it, during our access periods, a veteran presence out there. Gonzalez will a lot of guys. there. Yeah. Cruz will come out. So there is – an accountability factor mm-hmm. that on teams like this becomes incredibly important, which now goes back to Baldelli not having to address things because they probably never get to the, get to Baldelli. It, correct me if I'm mistaken. Didn't they put Sano's stall right beside Cruz? Yes, they did. Not by accident. In Mauer's corner, in Mauer's old corner yeah. locker is where Cruz is, and right by him is Miguel Sano. That was not a coincidence. No, hell no. Yeah, no. But Gonzalez is out there all the time. I think he is in, a, in, in scope. And I th- I think Gonzalez is a sneaky winner as far as you because he he has not he's hit a seen ton, it yeah but he but he knows exactly what what mm-hmm. he's doing uh, and, and defensively where he impressed me the, the most because he played a lot of third base with Miguel hurt and now since Miguel's come back he's played some first or so you know until May of this year he had never started he, he had played but he never started a game in his big league career in right field mm-hmm. and, and the first game they started him against the Angels a few weeks back. And he made an error on a ball that shouldn't have got by him. But Saturday, with two White Sox on in the bottom of the first, I believe, there was a shot hit towards him, and he made a great diving catch. And it's just things like that. The the level of professional from guys like Gonzalez is enormous. Yeah, and I was talking to Kyle Gibson for that call, and he he talked about the unselfishness. And he said, you know, we have guys that would probably play more on other teams, but they realize they have a pretty selfless – clubhouse and guys realize if i'm getting the day off i'm not getting benched i'm just getting a day off because that might help you so if you're playing one last day then you you maybe because every i think most guys want to play every day right Mm -hmm. but if you're getting one or two days off or less that you would be otherwise guys are accepting it it's not like they're complaining they just realize hey i'm getting a day off and this will benefit me over the long haul which is that that goes back to that whole chemistry thing and rocco is laid back, but he's also made it very clear in, in what you just talked about, and this was also true uh, Tuesday night with two outs in, in the ninth when Rodgers was pulled in sure. favor of Ryan Harper with a save on the line, and Rodgers was clearly not pleased. Harper came in and got the last out. Rocco's very laid back, but he's also proven, and how can I put this in, in the nicest terms possible, he doesn't care. No. So, like, if you don't like your day off, you're getting your day off. Yeah, yeah. And and if, you know, Taylor's out there on the mound and he's been struggling a little bit and he's thinking to himself, I got a save here, mm-hmm. and he doesn't get that save, Rocco's not going to fret about that. He's going to come in and say say all the right things in the press conference about, hey, Taylor Rogers is competitive, and, of course, he wants that chance. But he is very much going to do what the plan says for him to do. Does that go back to what you were saying about the clubhouse will police any? Yes. Right, and we have seen this chip in yeah. every. You name me a team, a successful team, in any sport that you have covered, where the clubhouse is not policed by the players. Sure, yeah. Two thousand nine Vikings, right? Yeah, policed by the players. And that's what you know. People roll their eyes at culture. That's what we're talking about. Yes, <clears throat> where players, whether it's Vikings, Kevin Williams, Favre, you know, Jared Allen, <clears throat> Steve Hutchinson, 
yep. you knew like those guys had complete control of the locker room. Yep. They you know, if you're getting out of line, you're gonna have Steve Hutchinson or Kevin Williams, you know. Yep. And so you're seeing that here, like <clears throat> excuse me, if a guy's upset with anything, Nelson Cruz or Kyle Gibson or whoever, Scope or Gonzalez, they'll they'll handle it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, r- report surfaced in the past couple of days. I believe John Heyman was the first with this. Dallas Keuchel has been throwing uh, Chip Scoggins simulated games. Uh, Craig Kimbrell, the closer from Boston All Star, the past three years also remains out there on the free agent market. The deal is this: at twelve oh one a.m. Eastern time, so eleven oh one Central our time on Monday, the compensation that would be attached to those guys through the draft because they got qualifying offers from their previous teams mm-hmm. is now gone. So both are probably going to sign n- next week. Uh, Heyman reported that a bunch of contenders, including the Twins, are in on Keuchel. Uh, we, we also independently found out that the Twins are very much talking to the Kimbrel people as well. does not mean they're going to sign one. They might. They're not going to sign both. Uh, but if the Twins are serious contenders for both those pitchers, which direction, if you were uh, Derek Falvey, would you probably go? Uh, Kimbrel. Just because I think, <clears throat> I think bullpen. If you're, you know, prioritizing which one needs the additions more, I'd say bullpen versus starting rotation. Mm-hmm. And so, because as we mentioned on the the show in there, what cluster fun, cluster fun, eleven yeah. a.m. weekdays, cluster fun. If you let's say this team's going to the playoffs, is you what relievers? Do you have complete faith and trust in right now, Rogers? Yeah, depending on how. Yeah, but yeah, let's Rod, say yes. yeah. I mean, I know he had a couple. Rogers, um, Blake Parker. Can I think be, Parker. Parker can be a tightrope guy, but I think I trust him. I. Th- but the, yeah. the the key word there is I think. Um, beyond that, and I'm with you. I think, given what you've seen from this team, if I'm Falvey. I'm thinking to myself, ultimately, before uh, the July 31st trade deadline, that I want one and one. I want to add a starter th- through a trade, and I need I need at least one arm in the bullpen, and it might be two. And I'm not saying that it has to be an all-star, too. Yeah. But uh, the bullpen, if you're going to, let's say, match up at the postseason against uh, the Yankees or the Astros, if I'm going to feel comfortable, I want at least – I'd like – one more starter and certainly bullpen help. Yeah, if you and you know if you had added Kimball to them, you'd feel better. Kimball, Rogers, mm-hmm. you know Parker, because everybody slots then, into a better place. Yeah, that's then, my thing is doing. You know, Trevor May, he throws hard, but he slot, if you slot him down, yes, and, and you know you still don't know can he get Hildenberg figured out. I don't. Want I don't to take know. That. I don't want to take that. That's either. the thing. I mean, that's you, a chance now. Yeah, he's. I mean, you can't bake on him figuring it out and getting back up and being a guy you have completely. So I, I think that, but I agree, man, if you could make a trade for another starter, even though the rotation has been a lot better than we thought. Madison Bumgarner, Chip Scott. Yeah. Madison Bumgarner. A, a rental who, if he comes here and, and has more success and likes it, can sign again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is, if you look, and I, he's 29, I believe, uh, and the stats aren't what they once were, but Chip, if you look at his playoff and World Series success, mm-hmm. it's off the charts. Well, that's the thing. And how, but, how nice, but how nice would that to be to uh, slot an upper echelon pitcher I- into, I guess, what, what could be called the Gonzalez-Nelson Cruz role for pitchers? Yeah. So let's say he starts game one. 
he ain't going to be scared. No, and then you back that up with Barrios. Yep. That's that's you know, and if Odorizzi stays on on this and path, and every, everybody and, slots and down again. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's crazy we're even having this discussion. <laughs> when you think about where the season started, but it, if you look at how this team is playing, you and, have to and the state you of the American to. League right now. This is a conversation, and and I I think that I can say this with, without being complete hyperbole, Chip. This is a conversation about a potential World Series team. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing about this team where I say to myself, just don't do it. No. And and because the lineup's going to continue to score runs. Now, they maybe not break the record home runs, but there's still, this lineup's deep enough, and you have enough quality hitters that it's going to, you know, you're not just going to fall at the table. Starting pitching, I, I, I mean, I think it's. Solid. I mean, I don't. It could, yeah, but is, again, is Perez going to have a come back a little bit? But for the maybe? playoffs, but for the playoffs, I'd love it to be. But you, yeah, I, I think it's. I think it definitely could be classified between um, Barrios, who's going to struggle at times, but I still think he's yeah, good. He's, he's very good. Um, Perez has been fantastic, and is, is he going to go through a slump? Perhaps, uh, but I don't think he's going to fall off the table completely. I don't think. No, Odo's been. Incredible, really, really good. He's been good. an all star, and, and it looks and it looks like he's turned a corner there. Yeah, this doesn't look like a, a fluke. He's, I think he's some, he's figured out because the velocity is and up. Gibson's solid, right? Yeah, yeah. And so Pineda's the guy who you don't know about, but if, but uh, of course in the playoff series you don't need five. That's not going yeah. to be important. But yeah, if I could so it's su- the bullpen, John. I yes. mean that's that's where and that's where I think you come and back. Kimbrell to that. intrigues me if I can if, if I feel that I can get him pitching fairly quickly. And effectively, and that, that that of course becomes the key question because now we're going to be into June, and you know, in Keiko's case, I don't think he's going to pitch in a big league game till July. I'm curious to see if Kimbrel's come off the "I got to be the closer" stance. If you're unemployed at this point and somebody offers you enough for, let's say, two years or so, I think I would. Well, and plus, you know what? Too especially, it's those things change. Do you know what, Chip? Guys, and in fact, I, I was th- thinking about this this morning, and I think it'd be a fun story to go to veteran relievers and talk to them about this your thought process has to have changed i mean the say first of all the saves a stat but the closer by a sports writer but it has the closer thought process changed i think it needs to yeah but i think some guys still view the save and the closer as i know ninth inning i'm going in there right but but aren't they now becoming like uh um uh cassette tapes mm-hmm. <laughs> i like cassette tapes I do too, yeah. but the but the fact is, at yeah. some point in time, I couldn't go to my down in the v- valley record store and yeah. buy an eight dollar cassette tape because I liked one song. But I just, if you're Kimbrel, I think I think you have to say I'm unemployed, I'm bored, I'm bored. <laughs> I've got a chance to join a really good team here potentially because mm-hmm. he's going to. But if they've got a role for me, because I think if you went to the Twins and said I am a closer and that's it. Team, teams like the Twins, and this probably goes outside the Twins scope, are going to say, no, that's, Craig, that's not how it works now. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> that's where, you know, maybe talking to Rocco or Falby, I'm sure they'll say there will be, be times where you are and times where you're going to be using the seventh inning or eighth inning. We want right. to use you in the high, highest leverage situations and not just pigeonhole you in, okay, I'd rather use you in seventh inning when we need you versus try to hold on to the ninth inning. Where, you know, so... You would hope that he would come around on that thinking and not just be so inflexible that I have to pitch the ninth inning because I, I just I really like the vibe they have going on about kind of thinking outside the box about traditional ways and approaches. And that's the that's the one thing you have to be careful here too is you 
don't want to bring in a guy who's going to upset that, that vibe because that chemistry now, and this might sound cliched, but I swear to God it's not, that chemistry is really, really good. And it's not cliche. It's true. And so so I do want to bring in help here, mm-hmm. but not at the price. In fact, I will give you one player, and he struggles at times, and he's certainly not uh, been the consistent guy, especially at the plate that he was. But I will give you one player I think you cannot send down, Ostadio. Yeah. I think I, I, and I'm not kidding you. I think Ostadio, Willens is so important. Players love him. He keeps people loose. Mm-hmm. And and that's a guy who you could make a case of. Well, we need a roster spot. I'm keeping him. Yeah. And I think they. What are you going to do when thing. Cruz comes back, though? I think they think the same thing. When Cruz, when Cruz and Garver come back, you got to find room. So. Well, I'm sending the kid down so to the, play the, some second base for him. Who DH'd yeah. a couple nights ago? He's gone for yeah. sure. But Ostadio, I I, I don't agree. Think I'd mess with, with that. I. Guys love him, mm-hmm. and and he play, and, he and he produces, catches, and he, you know, well, and he catches and plays yeah. third. But he would be a guy traditionally. If you send ten out, yeah. years ago, you'd be like, yeah, he, it's a novelty act. Yeah, you're gone, and now important. Speaking of progressive things, mm-hmm. your thoughts on the Vikings breaking <laughs> down, and I think it's a part time job. I don't think it's yeah. full time, but nonetheless, and this is this is something too that if you think about it. In, in the uh, in the big picture of things, was long overdue. Yeah, Nate Kading hired as a basically kicking consultant, meaning that Zim now has offense <laughs> off his plate because <laughs> Kubiak's going to run that. Yeah. And now Nate Kading can h- handle with what next to quarterback might be Mike's least favorite position in all of uh, yeah. football. The kicker now has his own guy. Well, I think you talked to Longwell about this not too long, a couple years ago, right? That it never made sense that after la- after <clears> after, the, uh, after the meltdown in Green Bay by uh, Daniel Carlson. Carlson, yeah. Well, after how many coaches have you heard over the years say, "Well, I, I don't even mess with the kickers. I don't speak their language. I don't understand it." A lot. Well, why wouldn't you employ someone who does? <laughs> I know <laughs> who's been in that Hockey's role. Got goalie coaches. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have Bob Mason. The Wild have Bob Mason. To deal with the just deal with the goalies because it takes a specific, I don't know, psychology degree or you got to be able to speak well, their language not, and understand what they're going and through. And they're not football players. Yeah, I mean, which is fine, but they're not. They're incredibly important to the end result, but they're not football players. I'm surprised someone hasn't. More teams haven't done this. Just he doesn't have to be your special teams coach because I mean that coach needs to do schemes and yes, different coverages and all that. I understand yeah. that blocking assignments, um, but to have a kicking coach or consultant or whatever to work on not just technique but the mental approach and what it I mean because they've done it they i'm sure they all can swap horror stories or at you know advice and or whatever also mentally some of them not all but some are very mentally fragile and they're mm-hmm. odd ducks and and to me it's very comparable to goalies yeah and there's not a limit on coaches in the nfl so why not why would... well and that's the thing that to the wilf's credit going back to when, when they bought the team but certainly during the time that we covered that team that is the one place where they spent mm-hmm. on coaching staff i would love to know what kubiak is uh making this year and what the entire staff is because this team is not afraid to spend on coaching. it's kind of the new frontier where quality control you can have a million as yeah. many quality you know in college you have a set number of full-time coaches you can have well you don't have that in nfl so why not if you can convince somebody to do it and spend you know spend the money on it. That's what it basically comes down. To. If you right. spend enough money, you'll get somebody to do it. Then why not have that advantage? You know. So I think it's it's obviously a plus, and maybe now Zimmer won't you know 
want to go for two in the preseason, in the first preseason game if he misses. Oh, I would <laughs> want to hear the kicker, would you? You know, I'd say, Mike, maybe, you don't don't get near him. Maybe that's where Nate King says, maybe we shouldn't do that. You yeah. know, maybe send a, if he misses one, let's send him right back out because it's, it's the best thing for him, you know. I, I think that the Vikings front office people have put Mike in a position where if things don't completely uh, come apart and guys get hurt, that there's no excuses now. Sure. Because every – because – a year ago, you know, Mike was DiFilippo's boss, basically, and it drove him crazy, and the kicker drove him crazy, and they cut the kid and all, all that. But the 2019 Vikings are now very much in a position where the things that Mike Zimmer hates to deal with are off his plate, mm-hmm. and all he really has to do is give the speech on Saturday night, come up with the schedule of things, and coach defense. Yeah, and do what he... No excuses. Yeah, and I, it, that's why you, why you can't put a value on what uh, Kubiak brings to him, not just the X's and O's and the scheme and all that, but just the, I don't know if comfort level is the right word, but just having that liaison or whatever that he had, oh, yeah. that he clearly had with Sperano. Yep. That that confidant, that, that friend. Or, somebody did take a, a lot off your plate, don't you? Yeah. Especially sure. here. Yeah. Well, he doesn't have to worry. Because, I mean, how many times did he talk about the play calling last year where it was constantly bugging him? Right. right, but it was never like he was solving it. It was always like it was a nuisance. It was a nuisance, and so sure. Now, and so now it's just gone. Yeah. And if I'm Spielman, I tell Mike, Mike, go in there and focus on defense. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you are the head coach, so give the speeches. But as far as the rest of this goes, this is <laughs> off your plate. Don't be concerned about what the offense is doing. And now don't be concerned about what the kicker's yeah. doing. Have the morning coffee with Kubiak and then go your yeah. separate way. <laughs> Find out what they're doing and he'll tell you and Stefanski can chime in as well yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Oh, I think, yeah, without a doubt. So, and I think they probably realized that the way things went last year and with Cousins' contract, because they said, uh, you know, if this doesn't work out, they're all going to be gone, right? Yeah, well, if it really, Yes. And yeah, so, if they win eight games or something, there's going to be trouble. So I think that's where they looked at it and said, "Let's get the situation how we want it, mm-hmm. so we're not so we're giving ourselves the best chance to win and keep our jobs." You yeah. know, so and and that's where where Rick was probably smart to, to because it doesn't take a lot to see what drives Mike crazy mm-hmm. and what Mike is good at. Yeah, like he's good at defense. We know that. But as far as as far as the fact of, I think if he has to, and, and you know, before flip, we we saw this start to uh, take place with Norv as well, Chip, where if Mike has to feels as if he has to step in on, on offense, the results are You're never good. Yeah. So who do you think's what office did the Kubiak idea originate from? His Spielman's or Stefanski? Oh, I think it was uh, probably Spielman's, but more I think so, more so than Zimmer, huh? But I think Zimmer was probably thought it, it, it was great. I think I don't think Stefan I don't think the Stefanski plan was ever for him to truly be a solo OC. Really? I uh, no, I don't. No. You thought I, oh they're gonna bring in somebody. Yeah. Yeah he needs Zimmer need because here here's the thing. I think Kevin's a bright guy mm-hmm. and and I like him. But if you consider Zimmer's age and personality type I don't think there's any way on God's green earth that he was going to tolerate another youngish OC. Yeah, and, and more importantly, I think it might have originated with Spielman because Rick knew Rick is basically now set up walls that guard against failure. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Kubiak guards against failure. Yeah. Kading does as as well. So 
I think from the day that uh, Stefanski got that job, the plan was probably let's go see. And and I don't know that Kubiak was the guy from day one, but I think there definitely had to be a comfort of Zim's going to be completely happy. And and I don't see how a guy Stefanski's age who called plays for what three games at yeah, the three, end of 2018 yeah. could be that guy. It is interesting because you saw, yeah, it, it could be something too because you saw and you heard like at Zimmer's postseason press conference where he really cut open a vein about Sperano's death and, and how he much open veins at postseason press conferences. Yeah, like no coach I've ever seen. I know, but he and he talked about it and you could see him and you could feel oh, like yeah. that was a good friend for him. And probably because they're age right, probably because they're old school. Similar age, he similar background. He yeah, needs I, Kevin Stefanski cannot be a so sounding. That's board where you wonder. Yeah, you wonder if Stefanski would, would have that kind of just. You know, Zim always talked about in the morning they'd come in and he was Sperano sitting in his office and they would talk. Like you wonder, like would Stefanski have that kind of relationship, or does he need someone similar age who's kind of been through the NFL battles? You know, that type thing with him. And so there's probably some truth to what you're saying. So I'm, I'm about to go in a direction that will make Roycey roll his eyes and swear, <laughs> but. You know what, Chip? And we have seen this before as well on Beats. Um, and, and this is where the Twins right now feel like a special team. You know as well as I do, though, that if you have adversity, especially unplanned. So Sprano dying is tragic. But I, I think on the surface, the fan says, well, that's the O-line coach. It's too bad. But but like for my team, it should, yeah. that stuff affects, affects sure. seasons Easily, sure. And I saw. I, I remember when I was covering the Packers. I want to say oh three that they had gone to the playoffs and lost to uh, Philadelphia. And I think it was before the oh four season started. They, they had a uh, pro scouting director type. I think his name was Mark Hatley. Died in, in his sleep at home. And I just remember the vibe. And I mean, so so this is not a coach, but it's a guy who, who was around the team a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that that was the first time in covering a beat where the vibe was different mm-hmm. and you could tell it took a toll yeah and so those things there are there are and that's why you can never say the window is open for five years yeah because you don't know you guys don't know. get yeah. hurt tragedy happens you know mm-hmm. weird things happen so that's why when when something special is going on i think you have to pounce because ideally the twins will be great for five years but saying that they're going to be great in 2021 without yeah. a shadow of a doubt is an assumption that you cannot make. Yeah, and that's yeah you you, you always I mean general managers and presidents always have to plan for the future. Like you're, you're building something, we want to be you know something sure. that's sustainable and all that. Yeah, but you also have to realize that man in pro sports and we've seen this town like how many years and examples where things can change like that. 2010 Vikings. Yeah, I mean yeah, I mean it's just. Where you think, well, in Vikings, you know, a couple years ago. 2018. Yeah, where Teddy drops back in an OTA. Yep. And his knee explodes. Yep. Now, all of a sudden. Yep. Now what? Now you're trading, you know, so you can't, you always have to plan, but, and you're right, so that's when the window's open. I'm not saying you mortgage everything in the whole organization for, you know, one postseason run, because that's not guaranteed either, but. You just have to go for it when the opportunity is there. Yes, because you because to assume that that opportunity is going to follow yes. up the next year or the year after that is hubris, mm-hmm. and it will. And in sports, sports karma that will slap you right in the face, right? Yeah, sure. That, that's my thing. Well, I mean, look at this: two thousand three, wild. Mm-hmm. That team had no business, <laughs> but they got hot. They got on a roll. It was magical, but 
you you like looked at that team and thought, what are they? What they just beat Colorado? Yeah. What they just beat Vancouver? What? But that's where it's sometimes you just have that special those special mm-hmm. teams and the chemistry is right and yeah. teams get hot. Yeah, and it's you know I don't think anybody looked at that one and said, all right, next year they're going to be Western Conference no, Whereas no, but I'm saying that that was a that was a window into what can happen when teams when get hot. on rolls and are hot. And that's why this Twins team where you just, you know, this is crazy what's happening. And and it's not a fluke. And so, yeah, that's where it's incumbent on this leadership, Falvin Levine, to say, you know what? Even though things are going great right now and there might be a temptation just to let this thing ride out, with the group that they have, because they're good enough, obviously, right now to have the best record in baseball. Mm-hmm. That's where they have to step back and say, could we really bolster this lineup, you know, and make some moves that would really um, add some firepower to it, both either pitching and hitting. I think they will, don't you? I, I, I think I they'll be the such a – guys won't do it. No, I, I, I don't – I think they'll be – I mean, I think they, they'll do it just because they, they want to give themselves the best chance, but you got to know the longer this goes – the pressure in town to do something and and from you, fans and media that do you think that's going to impact them though or do do you think it's going to no. be an internal feeling that they that it's incumbent on them to do something because of the where this team is at I think I think it'd be internal and, and Dave St. Peter's in there too were like they can have those conversations like listen we've asked this fan base to be patient for a decade yes and now here we are let's not be patient and sit tight let's go do something bold yeah I think you're right there and I don't that. That's the the one thing that I can't f- figure out about these guys, um, and I think I know, but I'm not positive, is I don't feel like the new executive gives in to pressure from people like us or fans. But I do But I do think I think they feel stuff. But I think no, I'm not lo- saying them, but I think in general. But I think they're logical. Yeah. I think they're logical, and I don't think, you know, it, it's that, it, it's not even super old school, but it was that previous wave of executives that were sort of like well no i'm not gonna do you know because we're gonna be good for the next yeah, five years yeah i feel like that person has given way to a person that has more common sense and so the moves are generated not necessarily from the pressure from the press or the fan base it's generated from a, a sense of oh this makes perfect sense to do yeah well they look at numbers more and you see it like with contracts getting out given out or not given out you know in the off season where the old olden days you would you know Guys are getting massive contracts based off, you know, their track record or whatever. Where well, like that Bullholes contract with the Angels, yeah, yeah, it's, it's shifted now to where guys are like, you know, what this is not sustainable. He's going to drop off clip. We're not going to run the risk. So I think they're more practical about how they're spending money. All right, it's now conduits of trouble time for this. I, I put out a uh, question on Twitter right before we started this podcast, Chip Scoggins, mm-hmm. for people to ask questions, sports, non-sports. James Kelly asked this. What sporting events have you covered that were the coolest, and what sporting events do you want to cover someday? Chip Scoggins, what's on your sports writing bucket list, and what's the coolest sporting event you covered? My favorite sporting event I've ever covered was the uh, Texas USC Rose Bowl National Championship, Reggie Bush, uh, Vince Young Rose Bowl. Oh, that Still, that, that was, uh, well, if we're talking just specific game, mm-hmm. um, the the funnest events I've had is, is doing the Olympics. So I did the Russia Olympics and the uh, and then uh, the Korea Olympics. I mean, that last weekend in, in uh, Pyeongchang with Minnesota took off, took over with uh, yeah. curling and Jesse Diggins and the hockey Did team. You sleep at all? Uh, no, no. 
very, very little. That that was probably the funnest week of my professional career. Yeah. Just, I mean, it was like one massive story after another. So that was covering Olympics is unlike anything we do, you know. Um, so that uh, one particular game, I always say the uh, the Rose Bowl, the Vince Young Rose Bowl, uh, the 2009 NFC Championship game. That was even though heartbreak for the Vikings. That was that. As you test that environment oh, yeah. was as loudest I've ever been in a, a stadium. Natural noise. Yeah, it I was agree. incredible, and just I mean your hair stood up. You know, just so the electricity in the building that night. Um, uh, you know, Final Fours are fun for me. The Super Bowl was fun, um, but the Super Bowl was fun. Yeah, the Final Four here this year, which I covered, was it was okay. Yeah, I mean, I had some fun games along the way doing it. Oh yeah, the, leading up to it. Yeah, yes, uh, leading up to it, and then the, you know, which would be good. But um, those would probably be my favorite events. What's on your bucket list still, as far as covering? Um, well, I have a bunch of college football bucket lists that you know I want to do. Um, I've never done LSU at night. Um, I want to do that. Uh, I want to do Army Navy. That'd be fine. I want to cover that. Um, I still want to do a West Virginia game. Mm-hmm. That's a you know that's a fun. You're going deep, you're going deep yeah. into the yeah LSU at night would be yeah I think LSU at night's cool. probably the best college environment. Um, so those are um, ones uh, pro sports anything that you haven't done. No, nah, I mean I haven't done a World Series Wolves in the NBA Finals. Yeah, I mean obviously if you had to get a big story like that, be yeah. Let's not be Wiggy knocking down the. <laughs> Game-winning yeah, three-pointer in Game right, yeah. 7. How about that? Yeah. What's your bucket list? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I've been to – I was at the 87 and 91 World Series games here all, but I think I missed – I was at work in Game 6 of 91. But I think covering a World Series yeah, be fun. Would, would be fun, especially with the Twins. Yeah. Um, you know, Stanley Cup Finals for me would, would be fun. Uh, but I, I think the game that stands out to me, back to what you were saying, was – 2009 mm-hmm. the saints game and it's not i mean it was just incredible it was a it just, just such a combination of things including yeah. you know that that whole that whole two-year period watching Favre in purple was still seems like a dream yeah i know and watching yeah. Favre come that close to going to a super bowl and then submarining that poor vikings team just like he had the packers and mm-hmm. what was it the 2007 nfc title game against the giants that was one of the most Everything about that game was just incredible. And it was an incredible game, too. Yeah, I would say the, my three most memorable games that are sporting events, just not counting the Olympics, would be um, the 09 Championship, the Rose Bowl, and the Minneapolis Miracle. Yeah, those three Minneapolis would be, Miracle was in Korea. Those three so would, two Saints games. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. Funny. Yeah, I know. Yeah, those three games were the... The Rose Bowl, as a fan, I would love to go. Yeah, and I don't care if it's part of the playoff or, or not. In, in fact, I prefer that, that it was just the old school. What now, Pac twelve, Big Ten, mm-hmm. the Rose Bowl. I think would be an incredible event just to be at that atmosphere and that. I don't like bowl games that much, but that bowl game still means yeah, something. And that it's one a special bowl game. And that you know that that was back when it was the national championship game. And yep. I mean, when that sun sets over the mountains and it's kind of like purplish, uh, pink that color, and then you see the you know the green, the grass is like so green. I mean. For a college football fan who grew up watching it, yep. and to be there is like, it's like overwhelming, you know. What's that stadium like? Um, I mean, it's not you know the bells and whistles like you know uh, the new stadiums, 
I mean, this was 03. They may have updated it since I've been there, but sure. this was, this was, was it, no, was it oh no, it would have been 05. No, they, they were hiring. 05. Yeah, because yeah. they, I think Childers was in town. Yeah, the it was 05. Okay. Because my first year, I used to do every national championship game. So first year was New Orleans was the Sugar Bowl, and then I think it was the Fiesta Bowl, is that right? And then the Orange, yeah, the Rose was 2005, I believe. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's for a, a lot of people, like for me, I think it's the sensation a lot of people get when they go to the Masters the first time. When you look at it on TV, and you're like, ah, oh, that's incredible. But when you get there, you're like completely blown away. Yep. That's how it was. Like, you know, it's just perfect weather. And then and then you have, you know, one of the greatest college football games ever um, on top of it. It was just, I walked out of there. I was like, holy snake. I mean, it was just. Oh, yeah, it was a great. You didn't sleep yeah, all night. The game I mean, was fantastic. I didn't sleep all night. You're just thinking this is incredible, you know, mm-hmm. just the experience in the game. So, yeah. Bill asked this, what would the fallout be if the Vikings missed the playoffs this season? Well, you know, everybody thinks that because Spillman and Zimmer got the one-year extension that, that provides some security. To me, that just gives them severance yep. more than security. Yep. You know, I, I think if they miss the playoffs again, as much as I know the Wills uh, really like Zimmer and Spillman and think they got a good thing going, boy, this town would be hot if they miss it again. So it – I, I could see change if they miss it. Here's a weird question off of that point. How much does the Twins' potential success in the fall mask problems with the Vikings? Because ordinarily, the Vikings are the standalone hope in this town. Mm-hmm. So if the Twins, let's say let's say they don't, even, they don't win the World Series, but they make a playoff run, they lose out in the ALCS, how much do you think that that buys the Vikings some time to... Not fly completely below the radar, but do it a little bit. Um, I don't think any. I mean, because it's by the time you'll know what happened to the Vikings, you're going to be in the winter. So, not to say the Twins' run will be forgotten or anything like that, but I just think, you know, after what happened this past year, if they don't make it again, this town's going to be. On edge about well, the especially with Cousins being zero for two, then too, it's going to be on quarterback big on time on edge. You know, now I guess there's all kinds of circumstances. If you have just a ridiculous number of in- injuries, that yep. you know, what does it look like not getting to the playoffs? If you lose Cousins and Diggs and Harrison Smith and all these guys, but if they fall flat, but if they yeah, if it's just they just underperform and it's not an injury related thing, I think it's going to be some problematic for the leadership. Good point. And the last question is. From me, Chip Scoggins, tell me this, because you're involved in this right now, and I've asked this question a thousand times, and I heard it from you today. When did high school graduation <laughs> parties turn into shindigs of the of the utmost kind? It used to be I went to my buddy's house, and we went down in the parents' basement and yeah. drank some beers and tried not to get caught. When did we go to outdoor <laughs> tent parties, which you're going to have for your uh, kid who's graduating from high school, congratulations yeah, to her. You. But you, my my good friend, are going to be doing a lot of work in that. Yeah, when does it, when did it become the royal wedding that you had to put on the royal wedding? I, I'm trying to figure this out. It's uh, perhaps Jonathan knows because I'd have no idea. My niece had the same thing, though. Huge party. Yeah, I it was not um, nieces. Both of them did. When I graduated, I got a word processor, like a typewriter, to take to college. That was my graduation. Yes. And so my brother and sister when they they came before me, that was like my parents' staple. Here's here's a typewriter. You're off to college. Um, and we just had a senior, and it was real tight. It's all senior. Yeah, we went out to. A, yeah, it was real, yeah. <laughs> That's the best part of this <laughs> That's right. Hey, who's got the whiteout? Pass the whiteout. That's out. right. Um, yeah, we went to like a farm and just had like 
kegs of beer or something or something. Yeah. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. But oh, um, don't worry about it. I've, um, yeah. So it's no. I've, it's like become this. Uh, we, we've worked a lot, and you're putting up a tent in your backyard. Yes. Which <laughs> and we're taping somebody should video Thursday that to see Friday that. That ought to be because you've got you've actually have to go pick up this tent. Yeah. And, Put this tent. Up. You, you want to see a circus? Watch me try to put this tent. Up oh my gosh! That. And well, I'm glad you, you told me that you got help, which is good. I do have there. help. I've had I have experienced guys that so are a lot. Do all the kids then go come to your party? I for think a certain time and then yeah. leave to go to a yeah. Different so party? we have a set time. It's I'm not going to say it, but uh, yeah, we have yeah. A don't set. say it, but I just I love the fact that the kids are all going to leave and dad. They like and party hop. Yeah, and I'm sure we bought way too much food. I hope hope is not under. <laughs> Stop at my house. <laughs> yeah. So um, now, Jonathan, you live in New Prague. No one's going. That's to right. Now. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm uh, knock on wood. Hopefully, we have good weather. And as I told my daughter, the main thing is you're graduating, man. How cool is that? You know. Like, we were looking I, at pictures. Like, I don't care about graduation. I just I, care about the party. I posted. Uh, as I told her last night, I said, "Do you feel weird?" Because yesterday was her last day of school and uh, till college. And I said, "Does it feel weird walking out there?" She's like, "Not really." And I was like, "Well." I guess that's a good thing. I think it doesn't hit you until you go away in the fall, probably. Yeah, because she'll still and see you separate her from your friends. Yeah, but I just love. I want to know. In fact, somebody tweet me at J Zolgad Z U L G A D. When did the whole party thing start? I want to know when the whole. So I still. I've never got my. I've never gotten an answer about when the party started. Yeah, and here's a here's a to finish up with. Here's a weird. I don't know if it's a weird story, but it just kind of shows you how life throws you curveball. So. 2003, me and Judd cover uh, the Wild, Brad Bombardiers, you know, veteran defenseman on that team that goes to the Western Conference Final, write a bunch of stories on him, get to know him. So at the time, both Brad and I had young daughters, and now those daughters are best friends that hang out together and are graduating together. Uh, really? Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, they're, they become best buds and part of a group, and they're always together. So how weird is that? Uh, you know what? I don't have kids. I don't have kids, and I've decided it's it's weirder not having kids because kids allow you to at least appreciate your aging process. Yeah. I still feel like I'm 28 because so, I don't have kids, and you don't feel older yourself aside from, from the fact speak, that your body starts to break. Speaking down. of older, so I, I, don't, I can't remember where I saw this joke um, a couple years ago, but it's like, how do you know when you're old? Well, when you fall and slip on the ice, the people who see you, do they laugh or do they run over and ask you if you're okay? Like that's what the answer tells you if you're old. That's so good. I got it last night. So I'm doing some yard work and I'm at I'm at Home Depot and I'm um, pushing out some topsoil and some mulch. So, you know, I have probably a dozen bags, not a lot. I mean, there are other people who had a lot more. So I get to my car and the guy who's parked next to me is younger. He looks like he's in his 20s or so. Yeah. But he had just finished packing it up. And I have, you know, it's not a huge load. And the guy looks at me. He's like, need some help with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, now you know you're old. So I. I'm either old or he was really nice. I'm going oh, with he was really nice. He was. Uh, I'm sure he was very nice. But I felt like I was but, 80 when he. <laughs> but yeah, but I was going to say he was taking <laughs> he was taking pity on you as well for having to. You know what? I've reached that I stage said, where people are wanting to help me. Put absolutely, stuff. <laughs> put it in my trunk. Of course, it, that would mean that I was getting mulch at Home Depot, which would never happen. <laughs> but right. if it did happen, all right. Thanks, Chip. All right, brother. All right. Talk to you next week.